it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Well, hey, all you wiretappers out there. This is Gary Jenkins, former intelligence unit sergeant, detective, and welcome back to the show. And I am going to reprise an old one that I did back before I had the YouTube video. This was like, I don't know, five, six years ago, four years ago. This thing's, I mean, this thing's been going like six, be seven years this fall or this spring, I believe. Anyhow, uh, this is about Lucky Luciano and the big meeting in Havana, Cuba. Now go back to 1945, right after the war's over, he's deported to Italy. Remember, he made the deal with the, uh, the United States Army Intelligence to make sure that all the dock workers, all the dock mob guys on the docks were on the lookout for any German saboteurs or any spies. And he, he fulfilled his part in that bargain, and they had actually moved him back closer to New York City to a, a penitentiary down south from Danamora to close to New York City during that time. And then he got out, and, and he thought he was going to come back to New York, but they wouldn't, they wouldn't let him. Tom Dewey, uh, had become governor, I believe, by then. Tom Dewey hated him. Tom Dewey wanted to get him. Tom Dewey's the one to put him in the penitentiary in the first place. So he got deported and, and he comes back. He has Meyer Lansky set this up because Lansky's already got all his connections with the president of Cuba, Batista, and has a, a casino at the Hotel Nacional, which is the big fancy hotel. So Lansky sets all this up and, and tells all the mob bosses they need to come down and meet with Lucky. And, and so I researched that and I want to put this on YouTube now and I'm putting it back up. Be like a, a, a reprise of an old story that for you new guys that haven't gone all the way back in the audio version of the podcast. Well, here this is. And, and it's a really interesting story and, and it was a fun story to research and, and find out about how those mob guys worked back then. So enjoy this. Mayor Lansky already had the connections in Cuba, and so he got it set up. Luciano got himself two separate passports. He boarded a freighter in Italy, which took him to Venezuela. Then he flew to Mexico City, and then he booked a private flight from Mexico City directly to Havana, Cuba. And when he got there... His childhood friend, Mayor Lansky, was waiting for him. Took him to the Hotel Nationale, which was the big-time hotel in the 1930s, 40s, and 50s. And he even booked himself in under his real name, Salvatore Luciano. I guess he figured anybody, government agents would be looking for Lucky Luciano or, or Charles Luciano. So Salvatore Luciana was his, uh, his um, uh, cover name. He got a luxurious suite, of course. 
He did, you know, he did write a book that's really been uh, with another author called The Last Testament of Lucky Luciano. And, and there was, it's really been called into question. He talked about meetings that happened after uh, uh, he was gone from the United States and that like he was there and there was a, a lot of things in it. But uh, he did say this was the first time that no handcuffs had been on me and nobody was breathing over my shoulder for quite some time, was a direct quote uh, after he got to Cuba. Spread a lot of money around to keep it down on on what was going on and who he was. Paid off all the hotel staff, and because uh, he did not want to draw the attention of the Federal Bureau of Narcotics, and a man named Harry Aslinger who uh, was dead on the mob. They were the the Bureau of Narcotics. The Federal Bureau of Narcotics was really the only people paying attention to the mob. During the war, well, they didn't do much during the war, but after the war, up until after 1957 and the Appalachian Convention, then, then uh, uh, the FBI got into it big time, and 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 they got out of narcotics. But if you want to find out information from law enforcement about the mob during these years, you got to go to the Federal Bureau of Narcotics. He uh, he checked out of the hotel shortly after and moved into a home in a Havana suburb. They did book a big room at the Hotel National for the week of December 22nd, 1946, because that's when all the mob bosses from the United States were going to come down there. Lansky, he was carrying messages back and forth between Miami and Havana because he, he had cover. He had business interest in, in Havana and in Miami both, and he would go back to the United States and get hold of people, and, and they'd make plans about who was coming and who wasn't coming and why they weren't coming, and Lansky told Luciano he ought to buy an interest in this casino at the Hotel National, kind of put him in more with the government because uh, Lansky owned it with another well-known Cuban politician named Batista, and Batista will go on and be the prime minister, the whatever, the president of Cuba when Castro takes over. Batista and Lansky wanted him to pay $150,000, he told his biographers in the Last Testament of Lucky Luciano that he didn't really want to take that 150000 out of his pocket, but he told Lansky that all the invitees to his December 22nd meeting should bring envelopes to welcome him back across the Atlantic to, to be on the American side. Supposedly, these Christmas presents uh, or envelopes to Lucky Luciano ended up being over $200,000, and he used that money to buy this interest in the casino. Now, Luciano's long-range plans were to get Tom Dewey, Thomas E. Dewey, to rescind his deportation. See, Dewey, Dewey was running for president, and he was getting his people back in the United States to start supporting that campaign and, and putting money into the campaign of 1948, which is kind of interesting because he runs against Harry Truman, who Harry Truman... Uh, had the backing of the Kansas City crime family and ended up the Chicago crime family to get those both of those big major major metropolitan areas votes lined up. If Dewey was elected president, then they would call in that chit. They would call in that little loan that they'd made to him. See, these guys, they don't do anything for nothing. Now, that was going to be, that was in 1946, so it was going to be a couple of years old. During this time, Lansky negotiated a six-month extension of Luciano's visa with the Cuban Ministry of the Interior. Now, imagine that means negotiating a six-month extension probably meant passing 
so many hundred bucks under the table, I, I would I would bet. So just before the December 22nd meeting, about a week before Vito Genovese arrived to see Luciano, they had been really close friends back in the 1920s. And, and when Luciano established his crime family, uh, when, they, when they developed the five families and the commission, and in Luciano's crime family, he had selected Vito Genovese to serve as his underboss. So the more modern-day Genovese family was actually the Luciano family. Now, he, he had Frank Costello, uh, run when he went to the joint. Frank Costello was was kind of the the guy that was running, and, and that was part of the problem with Costello. Was uh, Genovese was a really violent guy and and didn't mind doing things with a gun and a knife. Now Frank Costello was a guy that was smart enough to know that you needed to make deals and negotiate and 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 just do business. And they ended up being uh, there ended up being problems between Genovese and Frank Costello. And actually he. Uh, he hired somebody to try to hit him, and, and the hit went wrong, but uh, Costello just kind of bowed on out after that. Now, Luciano had, uh, you know, the, the qualities that he selected Genovese for, if they were used against him, it would not be so pretty. And, and he came to realize, after not being around Genovese and, and not being his boss, he really was a conniving, greedy, backstabbing, double-dealing dude, and uh, he lost a lot of respect for him. A little side note about Genovese, he, uh, he had been in Italy himself for quite a while because he had been indicted for murder in the United States. And right after the war, he was arrested by the United States Army, and they took it and sent him, and they sent him back to Brooklyn to stay in trial. But there was a key witness against Genovese, and it was poisoned, so he was released just a few months before the Savannah meeting. And of course, he he wanted to go back and run the family, and he didn't want to have anything to do, particularly with Luciano. By now, Lansky had told Luciano why Genovese was there. He wanted to muscle in on Albert Anastasia, who had been the you know, of course, the boss in, uh, in Brooklyn and all around the docks, and, and he wanted to take over some of his action. According to the last testament of Lucky Luciano, Genovese started talking to Luciano when he met up with him, and the first thing he said was that Anastasia needs to be eliminated because he's thinking about killing this head of the Federal Bureau of Narcotics, Henry Enslinger. Luciano, you know, he said, no, he said, that's... Uh, that's not the deal. And and he pointed out that as far as he knew, Vito Genovese was the only one interested in selling narcotics. Anastasia was not really interested in that. He had his murder incorporated, but he also had a, a lot of rackets down on the docks and the, and the dock workers' union. So he had plenty of money coming in, was not really involved in narcotics. He was smart enough to know that uh, that, that, was, uh, that was a bad route to go, drew a lot of heat. Another thing that Genovese wanted to talk to Luciano about was how he wanted him to go ahead and retire. He said, you know, I'm, I'm running your family, but and you're too far away to run it, so you need to just go ahead and retire. Luciano would report in his book that he said, right now you work for me and I ain't in the mood to retire, so don't ever let me hear this again or I'll lose my temper. And you know what's funny is Luciano was a little guy. I'm not sure, too sure how big Genovese was. He was probably more normal size. But you can just see this little guy standing there and these perfectly coiffed hair and, and uh, you know, manicured nails and and uh, stylish clothes. And, you know, I don't want to hear this. Don't let me ever hear this again or I'll lose my temper. As all the other delegates arrived from the United States, 
checked into rooms at Landscape RA Reserve Forum. They had the whole top four floors of the Hotel Nationale. This is just like a convention that you would have, that IBM would have or something, or, or some big company would have. They, they reserved the boardroom for meeting. Uh, they had banquets and parties in other rooms for the groups and uh, little subsets of the groups. Like all the IT people go here and all the salespeople go there, I guess. I don't know. In his book, The Last Testament, Luciano will claim that as each of the mobsters checked in, they played a visit to him at his house, at this rented house that he was staying in. It's a place called Miramar, which means uh, Ocean View, I believe, in, in uh, English. And they did this to reaffirm their loyalty to him and acknowledge him as still the boss of bosses or the chairman of the of the board or the commission. The first night, the dinner was hosted by Lansky and Frank Costello and Joe Adnoy as, as a public showing of their private affirmations that Luciano was still the boss of bosses. And at that point in time, supposedly, is when the attendees all came with their envelopes filled with cash for Lucky. The next day, it just like I mean, this is just like a you know many conventions I've been to, uh, whether it was LEIU, Law Enforcement Intelligence Unit conventions. We used to have get-togethers. Uh, we, we had a, a by-zone and, and, a, and a national. The by-zone would be about the middle of the year, and the national would be at the end or the start of the year. And the national would where everybody would come, and the by-zone would be where it would be like eastern and southern or midwestern and southern. I think it was midwestern and southern when uh, when we, we hosted one here. But, you know, it, it's exactly. They all start out like that. Got a, maybe a dinner uh, at the start, kind of a big welcome deal, cocktail hour and all that. And then the next day, the convention or the conference gets underway. And at, at the table, you know, body language is everything, and, and where you sit at the table is important. They had a large rectangular table with Lucky Luciano who sat at the head. And Frank Costello and Vito Genovese and Joe Adnoyes were to his side, probably to his right side. It's been my experience that, that the people that are closest to the, the boss will sit to his right hand. The people that are farthest from the boss will sit down at the end on his left side. And other people that would kind of like to be close to the boss will sit to his left hand, but try to sit as close as they can to him. There's really no uh, protocol other than those. They got there, probably got there early so they could get that. But people, it's been my experience, people will sit where they feel comfortable. And that's, you know, if they feel like they're out or they're away. I went to a meeting, uh, a big sergeant's breakfast held by the major. And we had the same setup. And it was a major of the station. And he sat at the head of the table. And, and his aide sat right next to him. And a couple of the other guys that they were real uh, uh, politically uh, ambitious, they sat to his right. And then a couple of guys who were always out, big heavy drinkers, were always in trouble. They sat down to the far left, and they even were like separated from the other people by a couple of seats. Uh, I thought, well, that's interesting. That's interesting. So you would have had the same thing here in, in this kind of a meeting because people are people, whoever they are. Now, Luciano will report that after he opened the meeting, he thanked them for their money donations. He said he was going to invest it in the hotel's casino. But he, and he also asked them when they talked to him or talked about him publicly or out loud, be sure and call him Salvatore Luciana. And they do, he does not want to have any attention drawn to Lucky Luciano. Because he was all over the newspapers at the time. It's kind of like uh, James Riddle Hoffa. When I was growing up, everybody knew Hoffa. 
uh, Anastasia. Everybody knew Aunt, that name, Anastasia. Well, a little further back, everybody knew Lucky Luciano, and even ever, you know, even today, people know Lucky Luciano. They know he was a a big time gangster in New York City. Something about that name is just it's easy to remember and what's connected with it. So this was really the first time that formally, with the other bosses around, that that the subject of who was the boss of bosses and was there a title of that was ever brought up and. And it's reported that he, that Lucky Luciano casually mentioned that it was time for him to don that designation. I guess it would be the capo de tutti de capi or the boss of bosses. And uh, said Albert Anastasia immediately jumped up and said, yeah, I agree with that. And uh, he was also glaring over Genovese at the time because he knew that Luciano had, was protecting him from Genovese. Um Here's here's the quote that I don't know where you would have found this quote. Uh, I found this in an Alan May report on this uh, subject. He said, for me, you are the big boss, whether you like it or not. That's the way I look at it. I would like to hear from anybody who don't feel the same way. Well, at least they used improper English, so it sounds like a gangster. Luciano would claim later that there was just silence in the room. He said, that's all I wanted. He said, I wanted to teach Vito Ginovese a lesson in public without him losing face. And to get the title without having to fight for it. So once, once they said, once they didn't dispute that he was a boss of bosses, he said, frankly, I don't give a shit what happens after that. And then for the next order of business, he got that out of the way right away. You might as well get the hardest piece of business out of the way. He said that he told others he had heard rumors. This is a good way to put this. He heard rumors of infighting between Anastasia and Genovese. And and he looked down at him. He said, uh, you guys got to work together and work out your differences. Otherwise, you'll end up with problems like we had in the Castel Marice War in 1930 and 31 for so many people. That's where they killed off all the old mustache peats. It's Joe Masseria and Salvatore Maranzano were arguing around, and they were the old school. And the other guys, uh, Lucky Luciano, Marilansky, and, and Genovese, and, and some of those other young up-and-comers, because these mob wars, they don't really serve anybody. I don't know why they ever have them. They have a way to settle differences, but they still they can't always seem to get that. But every time we have a mob war, it's like this mob war I had here in Kansas City that I, I did the movie on, Brothers Against Brothers, the Savella Spiro War. I mean, a whole bunch of people got killed, and it drew a whole lot of attention to them. And, and actually, some of the wiretaps uh, that were actually wasn't some of the, actually some of the uh, hidden microphones that were placed were the first actual revelation of uh, that there was rumors about skimming from Las Vegas casinos, but that was the first actual conversation that was picked up that they kicked off the whole uh, case that ended up destroying the uh, Midwest families, and uncovering the skim and removing the and and destroying the hold the mob had over the Teamsters Union, put the Teamsters Union into receivership and a trusteeship and and kicked out all the old people and the teamsters and brought in new people and to put the heads of uh kansas city crime family the uh, cleveland crime family the chicago crime family and the milwaukee crime family in jail for quite some time so um these mob wars they they're they're stupid to have them but they do have them every once in a while luciano and lansky and and Frank Costello were smart enough to try to avoid that. Now, Genovese and some of those guys, they weren't smart enough to avoid that. They, For their pride, they will 
you know, they will take down the whole thing. They'll burn down the whole house just so they can say, I was right, or I'm more powerful than you. His next topic was, uh, you know, what supposedly uh, they talked about in the, uh, we're going to talk about and refine and, and order everybody not to get involved in, and that was a narcotics trafficking business. Luciano would, would tell and say in his book, I told him I want him to get the hell out of that business and stop it right then and there and then forget it. As we know, that warning and that order fell on deaf ears. They did not get out of the drug business because there was so much money to be made from it. And they were arguing around about it, and, and Luciano could see that he wasn't going to get compliance with his order. Frank Costello supposedly leaned over and whispered, Charlie, don't hit your head against the wall. Vito rigged this before the meeting even started. Now try to get out as soon as you can. Someday they'll all be sorry. When after he lost that battle, he then brought up the Siegel situation. Now Benjamin or Ben Bugsy Siegel was not invited to this meeting. He was out on the West Coast anyhow. Uh, he was looking over the. He he was representing the New York crime family's interest in. The West Coast at the time, there wasn't really a, a, there was a kind of a minor mob out there and they didn't really have any particular power. So uh, Siegel was out there and he's the one that saw the potential in Las Vegas, especially after they lost Cuba. Right now, they've got these Cuban casinos that they can pull money out of and and wash cash money through. They, of course, you didn't really have to wash money very much back in those days. That was before the CTRs and that's that, that's another deal the 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 narcotics business really ruined their little playground on using cash because after the government got into the narcotics business big time to to prevent that they came out with that new law that said any cash transaction over ten thousand dollars you had to fill out a form and the banker could mark suspicious on it and uh and so that's a way to track that money around. But back then, he didn't have that. But Siegel had become kind of a Hollywood mob celebrity. Siegel and, you know, everything focuses on Hollywood and somebody that's flamboyant and, and handsome. And anybody that was a character out there in Hollywood and in Los Angeles, there's a lot of press out there, and they're going to pay a lot of attention to him. And, and the mob guys do not like that kind of public attention. But he was a, he was a mob celebrity in, in Hollywood. He's talking about that's when he first started talking about building this big hotel and casino, which he would go ahead and and build in Las Vegas, which was uh, it was genius. It was genius. He saw the potential where nobody was really seeing it, especially in the post war, because all these guys were at that point in time they were building the Boulder Dam. So you had all these guys, these men. They, when you got men together, then you got to have to have gambling, alcohol, and women, and you got a big casino going about. 30 miles or 40 miles from the work site that has hotel rooms and beautiful women and casinos and, and all the ancillary things that are around a gambling business, which would be prostitution and drinking and smoking. Why, uh, you know, it was genius at the time. Plus, there was no other place in the United States that was like that. And Las Vegas or Nevada had these loose gambling laws. So, I mean, kind of a no-brainer in hind as hindsight. But, but back then, he was the first one that really saw the potential. He had kind of bungled the building of this. It was the Flamingo Hotel, if you remember. And the original cost had been projected at $1.5 million, and, and they're not too sure, but the 
entire cost is like cost overruns for the military or for any city project. All of a sudden, the, the actual price tag has gotten up to about $6 million, and people don't know, haven't got any money back yet. They don't know whether Bugsy is stealing money out of it and taking it, or he's just bungling it. It's probably a combination of both, more than likely. He had set a date for December the 26th, 1946, for the grand opening, but they still they didn't know, you know, whether this was going to be successful or not. They thought it was, and, and Bugsy had assured it would be, but they still didn't know. It's still kind of a crapshoot, uh, to, to use a, a, an appropriate phrase, I think, here. Now, Mayor Lansky told everybody at the meeting that he had heard that Bugsy Siegel's girlfriend, and who's the well-known Virginia Hill, uh, had been making trips abroad and deposited money in a Swiss bank account. Now, Lansky, he was he was a friend of Bugsy Siegel's. They came up together, and, and he said he believed that his old partner would skim even more money and leave the country if the Flamingo was a bust, rather than he knew he'd, he'd be made to pay for it, and uh, in, in maybe with his life, or, or maybe just... Uh, uh, he'd have to come up with some other kinds of action and, and give a lot of the money to the other mob guys and try to repay him as best he could. So in the end, they took a vote on Bugsy Siegel. Lansky and Phil Castell, who were both Jewish, decided that they should not take, they would not vote on it. So the rest of the uh, Sicilian mobsters voted and they said, yeah, he needs to be killed, and they even named the person who was going to do it, a man named Charles Fischetti out of Chicago. And the Los Angeles family boss, Jack Dragnum, was supposed to be involved with this. Now, Lansky suggested that they, now Lansky suggested that they wait until after the grand opening, which was just a few days away, and, and it's possibly to maybe give Bugsy some time. Maybe Bugsy will will get it figured out that that he's on the he's on the button, as they say, uh, he's on the hit list. So they did. They waited. Christmas Eve arrived. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. During this time, they kind of took a break from their meetings and their wives and girlfriends or wives or girlfriends, depending on which they wanted to come down, showed up, had a big party. Frank Sinatra was there. He came down with the uh, Fischetti brothers, which because Frank had all these uh, connections with Chicago. The day after Christmas, they reconvened because everybody wanted to know, wanted to report on how the Flamingo hotel opening had been received and it was hard to get that information and of course there was a three-hour time differential 
and uh, they didn't really know. I said rain and cold weather prevented planes from bringing customers in from Los Angeles, and and uh, in the end, it turned out the opening was considered a disaster. But Lansky said, you know that that's kind of a one-off deal, and we can salvage this. They reopened. They closed the. He he recommended they close the Flamingo, and it wasn't quite complete. I guess they, they closed it and then completed the work and reopened it a couple of months later. And and of course the rest is history. It became a huge financial success, and and everybody that had money in this thing would become rich from it. And all the other casinos and hotels that followed, all the way up to to the 1970s in Kansas City and Chicago and the Stardust and the Tropicana. However, they had not forgiven Bugsy Siegel for all the cost overruns and bringing down all the press and everything onto him. And somebody using a rifle shot him in the, as he sat on the couch in Virginia Hill's home, July, June the 20th, 1947. So that would be about uh, a little over a year after this meeting. Now, in his book, The Last Testament, Lucky Luciano said that at the end of the conference, Vito Genovese wanted to talk to him in private again. And he would say that Genovese would claim that, I heard that Washington, meaning the government or the G, knows you're in Havana and they're getting ready to put the screws to these jerks in Cuba to get you thrown out. There's going to be so much heat that nobody can do nothing to help you. You're going to have to get out of here and go back to Italy. And by all rights, everything that's over there is half mine and I want it. Luciano was living. Genovese is trying to tell him that that he needs to go back to Italy and, and wants half of everything that he's got. And he figures that Genovese is the one that ratted him out to somebody, probably to this Henry Anslinger or somebody. Somebody got word to that dude who was a, who was a, a, a bearcat man. He, he was relentless on these guys in the narcotics business. And, and so they figured Genovese had probably told somebody, got the word back to him that he was down there in Cuba. Luciano would claim later that he gave Genovese a beating, punching him and kicking him, and broke three of his ribs. Now, I'm not for sure about that, because he also says he avoided marking his face, so there wouldn't really be any evidence. Luciano would also claim later that he and Albert Anastasia put Genovese on a plane and told him that if he ever mentioned the incident to anyone, that then he says... A quote from his book, Then I, Charlie Luciano, will get back to New York, and if only long enough to do a final job on you. Now, Luciano's uh, fears of being discovered and what Genovese told him were quickly realized. The New York newspapers would report his presence in Havana. Now, some would say that really it was it was his own indiscretions, his own moving around too much and, and being too obvious down there, but... Uh, uh, Harry Aslinger would uh, send a letter to the Cuban government demanding it, demanding that it deport Luciano back to Italy. Who's, uh, the Cuban government balked. Aslinger went all the way to President Harry Truman, who had beat Tom Dooley by this point in time. President Truman told him to take whatever steps were necessary to force Cuba to deport Luciano. Aslinger went public and announced that until Luciano was sent back to Cuba, he would put a halt to all shipments of medical supplies to Cuba. Uh, Lansky and Batista had a meeting with Luciano, and they said, you know, dude, you better go ahead and leave the country, and then we won't have to deport you, and then you could come back. But he, he had his backup by then. Charlie Lucky Luciano had his backup by then. He refused. 
He said, you know, that if I go back, then how can I be the boss of all bosses that, that I just do whatever you guys tell me to do? So he hired an attorney who concocted a plan, believe this or not, to counter the United States medical supplies embargo. And, and the plan was to get Cuba to cut off all sugar shipments to the United States. Now, that's big-time stuff, but this plan of action never really materialized. It was probably more in his mind. He probably thought he could do that or was going to try to do that because he's arrested by Cuban officials in February of 1947 the next year. They just they, they made him stay in his house until he settled up any personal matters that he wanted to take care of and, and then put in an immigration lockup. And uh, they tried to let him go to Venezuela, but Anslinger found out about it and said, no, he's got to go back to Italy. So finally, in March 1947, he's put on a old cargo, Turkish cargo steamer, the SS Bakir. He said it took over a month for the boat to reach Italy. That's kind of like an insult to injury, isn't it? He spends the next 15 years in Italy, and finally he comes back to the United States January 26, 1962, but he's in a coffin aboard a Pan American Airways cargo plane. Claimed by relatives and sent out, uh, he's already had a... Uh, a service, I think, and he's interred in the in, and he's interred in the family vault at St. John's Cemetery in in New York. Uh, and you know what? Ironically, uh, seven years later, Vito Genovese would be buried in a vault just a hundred feet away from him. This author here, Alan May, says even in death, Luciano cannot escape the greedy bastard who betrayed him. Now, most of this information came the Last Testament, Lucky Luciano, by Martin A. Gauche and Richard Hammer. And it was not published until 12 years after Luciano's death. He uh, supposedly dictated a lot of the book himself during the last months of his life. And as I said before, there's a lot of factual errors in it. You know, a lot. Of, you know, history is what we agree it is. And I never let the facts get in the way of a good story myself. And you know, Lucky Luciano did not. So that's what we got about the Havana meeting and Lucky Luciano. Well, that was quite a story, wasn't it? That was that was really interesting. I, I you know, he just. You can't write, you can't make up stuff like this. This uh, Screenwriters cannot make this kind of stuff up. They have danced around this big meeting at the uh, Havana Hotel Nationale and different things that I've seen. Uh, I think on the, the story on Marilansky, the movie on Marilansky, there was another video, uh, I mean, a series, a short series I saw about different uh, gambling actions going on and different gambling action in uh, Havana. Uh, after the war, but before Batista came in, before Castro came in and, and booted the, the uh, existing dictator out. I, I thought that was a really interesting story, and I appreciate you all tuning in. And don't forget, I ride a motorcycle, so see motorcycles out there, look out for us and give us a little bit of leeway and watch for us, and we'll try to watch for you. If you have a problem with PTSD and you've been in the service especially, why well, go to the VA website and get that uh uh, hotline that they have and, and give them a call. Uh, you'll be glad you did. So thanks a lot, guys. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. 
LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply.